Welcome to episode eight of the Fasting Well podcast. And in episode number eight, I'm going to be talking about eight common health myths. These are things that I hear a lot. Some of these I used to believe myself. And I think they're common obstacles that people face when they're trying to get better health and and improve their lifestyle. Sometimes people either get hung up on these, either consciously or unconsciously, or it's kind of built into their culture or other things where they have a hard time shifting their mindset because they've heard this stuff all their life. So I think if you can kind of get out of the mindset of some of these myths that I'm going to talk about, then you'll have an easier time improving your health. So let's get right into it. Here's myth number one. Myth number one, I really used to believe this one myself and put it in practice myself, and this is that small, frequent meals are a good idea. Now, small, frequent meals might be a good idea in some cases if you're particularly trying to build a lot of muscle, uh, if you're a bodybuilder or something like that. So I'm not really going to comment on that aspect of it. But in general, for better health, small, frequent meals are not a good idea. So I don't think there was ever any good research to suggest that small frequent meals were a good idea for people to manage their blood sugar or to manage their weight or anything like that. But it was somebody's intuition that said, hey, well, if I eat less food but more frequently, maybe I'll have a more stable blood sugar throughout the day and I got to keep eating so I keep my metabolism strong. And those are two of the main things you kind of hear associated with that. But I don't think there's any good research to back that up, and I don't think there ever was. And I used to think it was a good idea to eat small, frequent meals, and I did. But then later I realized it's just not healthy to be eating all the time, and particularly if you're trying to lose weight. Once you really stop and think about it, it just seems ridiculous to think, well, if I need to lose weight, then I better eat all the time. Hmm, something seems off there. But anyway, this is one of the common myths that I hear, or at least that people seem to think in the back of their mind, that they kind of need to be eating all the time. But overall, you're probably going to be healthier if you eat less often rather than more often. Okay, myth number two. And so this one's closely related to the topic of this podcast and my website and everything like that. And this myth is that fasting is unnatural. So there are other objections people have sometimes to fasting. But one of them is that they sometimes say or imply or think that it's unnatural for humans to go for any length of time without food. But I think this one's pretty easy to debunk if you just zoom out and think about not just the last decade or two, but think about human history. Think about all the time that people spent over the past many centuries not eating all the time and how it was probably a lot more common to go several hours or sometimes even a few days without food for various reasons, whether that was related to hunting and gathering, or to some sort of drought, or just the winter time, or many other things. Because it was only in the past, well, let's say 50 years, but you could say 100 years if you want to be generous, that we've really had food constantly available due to things like refrigeration and grocery stores and of course agriculture to some degree with the mass production of certain things. But throughout human history, it was much more natural not to eat all the time than it was to eat all the time. So to say that fasting is in any way unnatural is a bit silly, to be honest, uh, and just kind of reflects not really thinking about the big picture. All right, myth number three. 
This one's also related to fasting, and that's because people have a bunch of other objections and fears and things related to fasting. So myth number three is that fasting will cause you to go into some sort of starvation mode and waste away and lose all your muscle mass and things like that. So the, the counter to this myth is pretty similar to the last one, and that's that humans evolved over a long period of time, often doing a lot of fasting, and so our bodies have learned how to do it, and they know how to handle it. And that includes how to maintain some strength and fitness when we're not eating food. So a really common objection, of course, is that people think, oh, fasting is going to burn my muscles and all my muscles are going to go away. And I wrote a whole blog post about that so you can read it if you'd like. But the really short version of this is that there are several things that help maintain muscle mass when you fast. The most important one is to continue to move your body and exercise. But you'll, when you fast, your body makes more growth hormone, which can help maintain and build muscle, including building the muscle after you finish fasting. And also that ketones, ketones help preserve muscle mass. So whenever you fast for more than, say, 24 hours, you're going to start to have a fairly significant um, rise in your ketone levels. And ketones themselves tell your body not to break down muscle, but to focus on breaking down other proteins instead by default, since, since they'll help preserve the muscle. And there are a few other things that go into that. But when you, when you continue exercising during your fast, that helps maintain the muscle because even if you don't eat anything, exercise still can build muscle at least a little bit or even just help to maintain it. So again, if you want to do a deeper dive into that, check out the blog post and I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Just I wanted to make a quick mention of, I listened to a podcast a few years ago for an interview with Dr. Walter Longo. And he's an expert on fasting, he's done a bunch of research about it, and he made the point that fasting isn't really a stress on your body, it's actually more like program A and program B. So program A is fasting, program B is eating. So your body knows how to handle both, and it's better to have periods of time when you do both. But it's a common misconception that, that fasting is somehow unnatural or harmful or damaging in and of itself. Now, of course, it can be taken to excess like anything else. But it's not inherently unhealthy, and it's very helpful for many people. Myth number four. Myth number four is that eating fat makes you fat. So this one, this one just won't die, this myth. And it's been several years now that it seems like people are starting to wake up to the idea that fat is not always bad for you, and that eating fat is not the main driver of obesity. But at the same time, people still seem to be holding on to this idea and they just won't let go of it. You still see it in news articles. You still see it reflected in the medical community to some degree. And, when, and in the weight loss community, it's definitely holding on for sure. People still think that one of the most important things they need to do to lose weight is to cut out the fat. And the logic here is simple. It's that fat Per gram of fat, it has more calories than carbs or protein. And so they're like, well, I mean, if I can reduce the fat intake, then I won't be eating as many calories, and so I'll have an easier time losing weight. But it turns out the opposite is true. If you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to reduce body fat, generally speaking, fat is actually helpful. Consuming dietary fat is actually helpful. And the main thing you would want to avoid would be processed sugar and processed carbs because those spike your insulin level or raise your insulin level. And insulin, of all the hormones that affect fat storage, 
Insulin is the most common one that people have high levels of and that's promoting fat storage because that's one of the things that insulin does is it promotes fat storage. It's like fertilizer to fat cells, as Dr. Mark Hyman sometimes puts it. So for overall weight management, you're better off consuming more healthy fats rather than worrying about avoiding fat. And that's because fat makes you satisfied longer. It increases satiety. It also boosts your metabolism. So even if you're like, well, I'm consuming more calories, well, yeah, but you're also going to burn some more calories because you consume fat since it raises your metabolism. One of the sources I wanted to mention, so to speak, is this book that I talked about in the last uh, podcast episode called Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? It's by Dr. Mark Hyman. He's a functional medicine doctor and MD that has written many best-selling books. And he makes this point in the book that when you consume fat, it keeps you satisfied and that it raises your or boosts your metabolism, speeds up your metabolism. So overall, the idea that eating fat makes you fat is pretty much false. It's pretty much not something you should worry about. Number five. So this is another one that is holding on for dear life no matter how many times it's been basically debunked through research. You still hear about it. You still hear about it all the time, even from doctors. You'll probably hear it from your doctor. And that is that saturated fat and or cholesterol is the main driver of heart disease. Or even just the idea that these contribute to heart disease at all is probably just about 100% false. So where did this idea come from? I think that's important to understand if you're trying to kind of figure out what's going on here. So basically, you'd have to go back to the 1950s. A few different things happened in the 1950s. One of them was that the president of the United States had a heart attack. That was President Eisenhower. And so there was a lot of renewed interest or increased interest in figuring out, well, what's causing people to have more heart attacks nowadays? And so there were different competing ideas. But the idea that got the most attention, for whatever reason, and that the government decided to adopt eventually and with their dietary guidelines, and that other big organizations decided to adopt. The idea that caught on, not because it was supported by research, but just because people liked it better or something, and there was a faulty research study that supported it that I'll talk about in a second. But the idea that caught on was that fat would clog your arteries and make you have heart attacks, and particularly saturated fat. And then also the idea that consuming dietary cholesterol would clog your arteries as well. So part of this was intuition, I think. People think like, oh, bacon grease clogs the drain in my kitchen sink, so maybe it'll clog my arteries too. So it's just kind of like a human intuition thing. And then part of it was fraud, because this guy named Ansel Keys, he did a big study back in in 1956 specifically, and it was funded by the government, and it was called the Seven Nations Study. But the thing was, he actually looked at a lot more than seven nations, maybe like 20. But then he cherry-picked the nations that supported his idea that consuming more saturated fat caused more people to have more heart disease, and he only included those seven studies in the results. But people didn't find this out until a long time later. Uh, But that was one of the initial foundational studies that ultimately resulted in the dietary guidelines. So the first dietary guidelines didn't come out till 1980 from the U.S. government, but those advised against consuming much saturated fat, and over the next few decades, they continued to say that over and over again. And in 1992, they made the food pyramid, which had 
grains at the bottom, and then at the tippy tippy top of the pyramid, it just had the um, the fats and oils and things like that. So this idea that you needed to avoid fat, and in particular saturated fat, got really ingrained in our culture, in the medical establishment, in the government dietary guidelines, but was never based on any good research. And in fact, the best research suggests that saturated fat and dietary cholesterol do not contribute in a significant way to heart disease. That's based on various meta-analyses, and Dr. Hyman talks about that in the same book that I mentioned a couple minutes ago. And so in that book, I think you can find uh, links to some of those specific research studies that have uh, looked at that topic. You could also try reading the book called The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teicholtz, or watch the documentary called Fat Fiction, which kind of walks through the history of this and and, uh, a lot of things that play into the myth about saturated fat causing heart disease. And just as as kind of a reminder, I used to think this. I used to think saturated fat was really harmful and I needed to avoid it. Um, And that's basically what I learned in med school and PA school. So I really had to reverse my way of thinking eventually once I learned more about this topic. But I think in the, in the popular culture and in the news media, these ideas really are hanging on. And, and even in the medical establishment, they're really hanging on to this very day. All right, myth number six. Myth number six is that calorie restriction or cutting calories is the most important thing to do if you're trying to lose weight. So this is another one that sort of makes logical sense. Actually, the, the past ones didn't make logical sense, but they kind of made some intuitive sense in a way. But this one seems to make logical sense. And that's because people are like, well, you know, energy in, energy out, and all that. Calories in, calories out. But the problem is multifold. The problems are that this is a huge oversimplification of how the human body works and that your body is not a calorimeter. A calorimeter is a thing that you put like food into or something and then burn it to see how many calories it produces. Uh, But your body is not a calorimeter because it has a lot more complexity to it. And when it comes to weight management, even more important than calories, calories play a role, but even more important than calories, there are a few other things. And the most important one is hormones. Hormones play a bigger role than calories when it comes to body fat and weight management. Here are a couple examples. Think about puberty whether it's men or women, when they reach puberty, there are some dramatic changes to their body fat location and quantity and things like that. And it's not because they ate more or less calories. It's because their hormones changed. Now, those, of course, are the sex hormones like estrogen and testosterone. But there are some other hormones that play a big role in body fat storage. And the biggest one, the most important one, is called insulin. And that's because insulin goes up whenever we eat certain types of food. And whenever insulin is high, then you literally can't access your body fat. It's trapped. So hormones trap body fat. Because there's an enzyme called hormone-sensitive lipase, which only becomes active when insulin goes down, when insulin is low. And that hormone-sensitive lipase is one of the things that helps release your body fat. And insulin tells your body to do the opposite, which is to store more body fat, especially after a high-carbohydrate meal or anything with sugar or processed carbs. That's when you get a particularly big spike in insulin. But if you eat a lot of that food for an extended duration of time, then you get chronically high levels of insulin, which basically traps your body fat and makes it so it's a lot harder to lose weight. 
So that's the basic idea, kind of, you know, a slight oversimplification of it, but that's the basic idea. Another really under kind of underappreciated factor that goes into body weight management or body fat management is sleep and stress. Sleep and stress actually have a pretty clear physiologic way in which they cause somebody to have more body fat or to have more body fat in certain locations on their body. And that's because poor sleep or inadequate sleep, as well as increased stress, they both increase levels of cortisol in your body. Cortisol is that long-term stress hormone. But one of the things that cortisol does is it kind of breaks down some of your muscle and causes fat deposition or leaving fat in certain parts of your body, including your abdomen. So when you have higher cortisol levels, you're going to have more fat in certain parts of your body and probably more fat in general. So improving sleep quality or reducing stress are kind of underappreciated ways to help reduce body fat. All right, let's move on to myth number seven. Myth number seven is that exercise is an effective way to lose weight. Now, let me start by saying exercise is effective for a lot of other things, like building strength or muscle, improving your mental health, improving your sleep quality, and a whole bunch of other things. But exercise is not an effective way to lose weight, at least not by itself. I see a lot of people that are like, oh yeah, I made my New Year's resolution, I want to lose weight, and so I'm going to the gym every day, and I'm working out for like an hour every day. And of course, first of all, that's not sustainable. But second of all, it's just not a very effective strategy for losing weight. And that's because if you're eating junk food, if you're eating some of the processed food that I talked a lot about in the previous episode, and if you're eating a lot of that stuff throughout the day and most days, you're just not going to be able to exercise yourself, exercise your weight out of that. You, know, you can never do enough exercise to make up for a really unhealthy diet. It's just impossible. Because if you eat, let's say you eat one donut you'd have to run several miles to make up for that one donut. And so it's just not realistic that you're ever going to do that if you're eating unhealthy things like that on a regular basis, and particularly if you're already obese. Then it's just very unlikely that exercise alone is going to make much of a difference. So overall, it's a lot more effective to think about the type and the timing of the food that you're eating, the type of the food being real food, unprocessed food, and the timing being perhaps less frequent, shorter eating window, and then doing some longer fasts here and there is going to be much more effective for losing weight versus just doing a whole bunch of exercise. And again, exercise is great for your health. It's really important, in fact, for your health, but it's not an effective way by itself to lose weight. Okay, myth number eight. So this is the last one. The myth is that you need to eat carbohydrates, that carbs are essential. So that's a myth because you can survive without any carbs. You don't need more than zero grams of carbs. <laughs> um, you do need to eat fat and you do need to eat protein. You can't survive without them, but you don't need to eat any carbs. Now, if you're metabolically healthy and don't really have any health concerns, then carry on, do what you're doing, eat the same diet that you're eating. But most people are not metabolically healthy, and in many cases that's because our metabolism has been damaged by all the processed and overly refined carbs and sugar that we've been eating for the past several decades. So if our metabolism is already damaged, and that includes people with high blood sugar or high insulin levels and others, if it's already damaged, you probably want to do something to change that and kind of take away the thing that's been doing the most damage, at least for a while. 
So if you have diabetes or if you're on the way to having diabetes, in other words, if your insulin's a little high or your blood sugar's a little high, and you wouldn't know if your insulin's high, but if you did measure that and you found out that your insulin was high, then it would make a lot of sense to cut out all the carbs. Or for anyone with diabetes, it makes a lot of sense to cut out all the carbs, at least for a while. And of course, if you do that and you're on medications, you'd have to adjust the medication, so you'd need to work with your medical provider. But it just makes sense to cut out the carbs if you have a type of medical condition or health problem that is worsened by those spikes in blood sugar and spikes in insulin. So it makes sense to do it at least for a while. Not everyone would need to do it forever, and not everyone needs to be on a low-carb diet. But because many of us are in a place where our blood sugar is too high or our insulin's too high, then it just makes sense in that scenario to cut out the carbs. But some people, I guess, think that your body needs carbohydrates, and that's just patently false. You don't need any carbohydrates to survive. Okay, let's go ahead and summarize the episode. So I went through eight common health myths, and none of these are based on good evidence, but all of them seem to persist even to this day to some extent. Many of them are ingrained in the medical establishment and things that I learned back in school, and many of them are still still present in popular culture, in news articles, and you might hear them from your doctor. But all of these are things that if you continue to hold on to these ideas, it'll probably do more harm than good to your health. So ideally, you would shift your mindset and kind of let go of these ideas so that you can more easily take steps to improve your health. So myth number one was that small frequent meals are a good idea. For most people, it's better not to eat small frequent meals. It's better to eat less frequently. That might not be true for a bodybuilder. I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. But if you're trying to improve your blood sugar or your body weight, it's definitely better not to eat as frequently. And there was never any good research to support that idea. It was, I think it was just based on intuition. The second one, the second myth, was that fasting is unnatural. This one's super easy to debunk. Just think about human history. It's for less than 1% of human history. Uh, only during less than 1% of human history have people been eating all the time around the clock. So th- that's the more unnatural thing, and that's a major driver of obesity and diabetes and other health problems. The third myth was that fasting will cause you to starve or waste away, and I gave a few reasons why your muscles don't waste away when you fast, and I wrote a whole blog post about that so you can go read that if you want to learn more. Okay, myth number four is that eating fat makes you fat. So overall, this is basically an idea of, oh, I need to cut calories by reducing my intake of dietary fat if I'm trying to lose weight in particular. But the reality is that when you consume fat, it stimulates your metabolism so you burn more calories. It also makes you satisfied longer so you don't get as hungry or have as many cravings. So overall, it's better to actually consume plenty of healthy fats if you're trying to lose weight and improve your health in other ways. Myth number five was that saturated fat and or cholesterol are a major driver of heart disease. This wasn't ever based on good research. It was based on some fraudulent research starting in the 1950s, but it was never based on good research and the best research if you look at recent, more recent stuff, like meta, different meta-analyses, suggests that saturated fat is fine and does not significantly contribute to heart disease. And the same thing's true of cholesterol. I mentioned a few good sources you can look at if you want to learn more about that. That includes the book called The Big Fat Surprise and the documentary called Fat Fiction. Myth number six is that calories are the most important thing to consider if you're trying to lose weight. Turns out, most people still think this. It's really hard to, to kind of get this out of our brains. But 
Overall, hormones play a bigger role in weight management than calories do. Calories still matter because the amount of food you eat makes a difference. But a more important factor is hormones. And the things that affect the hormones are the type of food you eat, the timing of the food you eat, and other health practices like sleep, stress management, and things like that. Myth number seven is that exercise is an effective way to lose weight. So if you just focus on exercise for your weight loss program, it's not going to work very well because really the diet matters more because if you eat processed junk food, then you're going to have to do so much exercise to make up for that that it's just not realistic. So overall, what you eat is more important when it comes to weight management. Exercise is really good for your health in other ways, but not so much for weight management. The last myth that I mentioned was that carbs are essential. Carbs are not essential for your body. Not everyone needs to avoid carbohydrates, but if you have diabetes or any sort of similar medical condition, it makes a lot of sense to do a trial of no carbohydrates or very low carbohydrates for quite a while to see if you can improve your health condition with that. Okay, so that's basically the end of the episode. I did just want to mention, I mentioned this a few episodes prior, but I'm not going to be running any ads on this podcast, but if you find it in your heart to make a contribution to the show so that I can keep producing more shows so that I can ultimately hopefully reach more people and help more people, then you can go to what's called Buy Me a Coffee, buymeacoffee.com slash fastingwell, and there you can make either a one-time contribution or a recurring contribution to support the show. So as I mentioned before, it's kind of ironic because I don't even drink coffee, so I'm not going to spend any, any of the money on coffee but that's what it's called. It's called Buy Me a Coffee. And I'll put another link in the show notes today, I guess. But you can probably also find it somewhere on the main podcast page on my website. So thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode of the Fasting Well Podcast. The Fasting Well Podcast is not medical advice and does not replace the need to consult with your own medical providers.